Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. I'm off this week, but this episode from our archives is of two of my favorite interviews from 2022. It was estimated that soil salinity is affecting anywhere from 5 to 10 million acres on Canadian prairies. Establishing perennial forages is one of the top recommended methods to manage saline soils for the long term. At a forage crop walk in northeast Saskatchewan, producer Harry Haven shared his story of how he converted 90 acres of poorly produced saline land to a productive forage crop, which is baled each year by another farmer. And agri-environmental specialist Charlotte Ward also shared some thoughts on the many forage blends that are available, and choosing a variety will depend a great deal on what the crop will be used for. And in our second interview, many farmers are diversifying their operations. But one farm southwest of Saskatoon has several revenue streams, including crops, livestock, part ownership in a Saskatoon restaurant, and operating a summer day camp for elementary school students. Arlie LaRoche is the owner-operator of Farm 140, and she shares more about the farm and its various ventures. After the break, farmer Harvey Haven. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Harvey, first of all, thank you so much for hosting this forage crop walk today. You and uh, your son Ryan spoke today about this particular 90 acres that you said you said in 2016 or 17 it was white. So in 2016, so obviously a decision had to be made. Uh, so tell us about the process of converting it to this lovely field we see here. <laughs> well, I, I think I mentioned to, to the whole group here that uh, we'd been farming it since 1964 when in, there was uh, some grass on here, uh, brome here on, at that time. Uh, but uh, it had quack grass in it, and uh, so we eventually worked it up soon after. And uh, we tried uh, cereal crops on it, and uh, we even tried canola once or twice, which was a total failure. And uh, we found that six-year-old barley and uh, oats weren't weren't uh, too bad, but you, you only got a quarter or a half a crop. Harvest was such a pain because uh, anytime you get rain on saline soil, well, uh, cereals all start growing again. The second growth was uh, was phenomenal, and uh, kosher and. Uh, Foxtail barley do really well on saline soil, mm-hmm. it seems. <laughs> so when when uh, one of the other specialists was saying that that uh, uh, foxtail barley is is uh, not a big uh, concern because it's not very competitive, well, I, <laughs> I sometimes felt that uh, when God created uh, heaven and earth, here, he wanted a little <laughs> hell on earth, and so he created mosquitoes to to give the human population <laughs> some issues and, and i think uh, wild oats uh, canada thistle and foxtail barley was was uh, a little bit of hell on earth <laughs> yeah absolutely for, for farming anyway that's uh, beside the point so uh, i guess uh, come 2016 we had a very high table uh, water table uh, the crop on here was was almost non-existent on a number of acres here, uh, so something had to be done because we were just losing money on it, and the, the cost of seeding it was uh, more than what the, the uh, crop production was. So had to do something, and 
at that time, uh, tile drainage was non-existent in this area, and, and uh, besides, we don't have the uh, the elevation here for any any place to drain. Really, it would mean pumping of some sort and uh, pumping it onto a neighbor that doesn't want salty water either. So. Uh, I called up Lyle Cowell and uh, got, I, I think, really good advice. He said, uh, put Saline Master on, on there and uh, and give it a go. So that's exactly what we did. And uh, uh, we got a perfect uh, fall, or per- perfect spring in 2017 uh, for establishing uh, a forage crop on here. And uh, it, it took very, very well. And in 2018, then, the first uh, crop was baled off of it. And uh, you know, we got you know, pretty good production, I thought. But since then, it's it's been a little less. And uh, and last uh, year it, was very dry. Last so year was, was terrible. Been, we yeah. went from 300 bales to last year mm-hmm. it was 45. And now this year it's 162 again. Uh, I actually thought the stand was was better than than that. I, I expected 200, but uh, what will be is will be. So and, tell me a little bit about what your plans are. Um, you know, it has been bailed. You've left a small strip here for us to take a look at what, what it looked like. Yeah. And uh, so is, uh, are you going to continue on, uh, fertilize, uh, try cropping it again? Yeah. What's the plan? Oh, my plan is, is pretty simple. She, One of the speakers, Charlotte, uh, gave a number of uh, options here. And uh, uh, what uh, she has advised me to do is to do a soil test uh, end of August, first part of September. And so I'm going to do a soil test, and I'm going to get uh, hold of Charlotte and send the results to her, and she's going to tell me what to do. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. I suspect it's going to mean either uh, just broadcasting some urea on it uh, in early in the spring. Uh, this is what I'm ex- anticipating. Or she might uh, suggest that we uh, knife in uh, a little bit of alfalfa and uh, uh, fertilizer, principally nitrogen, uh, early in the spring uh, in hopes that we can get some alfalfa established and not have to continue to fertilize. Uh, The the price of fertilizer uh, uh, on here for, for the amount of extra production you you uh, gain is uh, it's questionable whether or not especially when, when I have no need for the for the forage yeah. I'm, I'm uh, getting it at uh, custom bales and, and he's buying the, the uh, hay from it and that uh, I think well he's making as much off it as I am yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I if, if we had our own herd and, and uh, could use the the forage that it would be maybe different economics yeah absolutely uh, uh, so that's my plan great no that's super <laughs> yeah. well thanks so much for sharing your story uh it's nice to see production on something that was white just a few short years ago and uh we'll have to stay in touch and see what happens next year <laughs> thanks for your thank time thank you very much alice good all right, uh, Charlotte, so uh, great presentations here today. Um, and you talked a lot about some of the blends that are available, but maybe first of all, just explain for people don't, that don't understand the seriousness of soil salinity, what happens with bare saline ground? 
So bare saline ground um, causes a number of issues. Number one, weeds probably is the most obvious one, um, whether it be kochia, foxtail barley. Um, weeds, they can then spread if we don't contend with it, contaminate feed sources for livestock. Um, essentially, the other biggest thing in my mind is it's a it's a losing money proposition once you have weeds there and nothing's growing we need to be able to pull something out of it some way shape or form so that people aren't continuing to lose money you don't have to make a lot of money on it but just continue not to lose money and figure out how we're gonna get something of these acres there are lots of blends available uh, lots of options lots of decisions to be made so i guess it's important for the producer or the rancher to know exactly what they need and and where they plan on seeding yeah, so one of the first things I always do when I'm talking to a producer, I say, tell me what your goal is. Do you want to do livestock feed? Are you going to hay it? Are you going to pasture it? Or do you simply just want ground cover there so that you're not getting up with these weeds that are spreading into other areas or the salinities increasing? So the first thing in my mind is always to figure out the goal. From there, we start talking about the blends. Um, things like, you know, how saline is it? Is it wet? Is it droughty? And we can tweak the blend based on those parameters. Um, one of the other things I always ask the guys is, so once we get it in, um, how long are you planning on leaving it in? Because real, in reality, salinity is not a three or four year fix. We're probably looking at 10 years out. So make sure we have some long species in there and that down the road, it continues to do what we need it to do. So in that 10 year plan, then can that be returned to cropping? It depends on how saline it is. I've had guys who will put it in and, you know, they were only leaving it for five years. It convinced them to leave it longer. And suddenly they said, you know what? I've made an agreement with a neighbor who wants to hay it. Or in the case of a mixed operation, they have a source for that feed. That it's not really worth the headache anymore of trying to get into those acres. They're often wet in the spring, uh, can cause some issues there. And so there might be a mutual benefit either to a neighbor they can work an agreement or to other pieces of their operations. They have a way to use that forage. There are some programs available and we won't go into a lot of detail now. Uh, so uh, what are some just general programs that are available for producers? So right now, the one that I'm involved with through the Ministry of Agriculture is the Farm Stewardship Program. So we have a BMP or Beneficial Management Practice that guys can access to seed uh, perennial forage down with the idea of being a little more long-term, not something that's going to be short-term. Um, other programs that producers have access to would be Ducks Unlimited has some forage perennial uh, programs there, some specific to margin acres for salinity and then we have another program that producers have access to that is called the marginal acres it's called the mars program the mars program and so that is being delivered by sask soil so there's a few different programs out there that guys can tap into for funding because we realize that perennial forages are not um uh low-cost endeavor right off the bat there's a there's an outlay of cash and some field prep that they need to make sure they get it right um because we're looking at what could be the benefit five ten years down the line uh lots of specialists available through uh saskatchewan agriculture through the ministry and uh, farmers can always contact one of the offices and speak to a specialist yeah, we've got 10 offices across the province. So um, on the east side of the province, there would be uh, Humboldt, Yorkton, uh, PA. Um, further south, we get down to Weyburn. But there's 10 of us across, there's 10 areas across the province. Um, there is a complement of whether it be agri-environmental specialists, range management extension, egg programs, crop specialists, livestock and feed.
need, um, you name it, we kind of have you covered. And worst case scenario, if you can't figure out who your local person is, a call to the Agriculture Knowledge Centre is always a great option. and They will put you in the direction of the right person. Thanks for your time, Charlotte. Thank you very much. Farmer Harvey Haven and agri-environmental specialist Charlotte Ward speaking at a forage crop walk held back in July in northeast Saskatchewan. After the break, Arlie LaRoche with Farm 140 will talk about how they have diversified their farming operation. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. A farm in the Vanskoy area southwest of Saskatoon has several revenue streams, and this is a very busy Arlie LaRoche, uh, the owner and operator of Farm 140. Arlie, tell us about your operation. So we're a pretty small farm by Saskatchewan standards. We just have like about 25 cow-calf pairs, but we finish our cattle here. So we always have a couple years worth of calves on the ground. And then we have about 40 breeding ewes, which translates to about 70, 80 lambs in a season. And then we usually have somewhere between 15 to 40 pigs on the go at any given time. And then we just have some, my kids, honestly, it's their hobby laying flock of chickens. So are they free range animals, pigs and chickens? Yeah, the pigs have a big six acre paddock that we rotate them through because pigs are rototillers. So we have to move them so that they don't totally destroy the soil. But uh, they have a big space and then the chickens are always outside as well. I do most of the day-to-day operations of the animals. There's somebody that manages the garden here. Her name is Julie Maxwell, and she does the big garden. And uh, someone else takes care of the honeybees. And he used to have honeybees in the city, so he takes care of them. And then we have business partners that run the restaurant. So my role in the restaurant is to just supply them with the product. Cows and sheep are 100% grass-fed and finished. So they're eating pasture in the summer. And then we do have a bit of land out by Waka, by my in-law's place. And that's where we put up our hay. So we just transport our hay from that farm here for the winter. And then at that same farm near Waka, my husband grows a little bit of cereal crops. So that's where we grow the grain for the pigs and chickens. Arlie, tell us about uh, your three kids camps that you have running this summer. They're a pretty fun way for kids to spend a week in the summer. It's just four-day camps that they come for the day and go home each night, and they get to learn a little bit about the workings of a, a livestock farm. Usually when they first get here, they just do some game or some craft to just kind of wake up a little bit, I guess. Each day I take them for about an hour and we have an animal focus session. So each day of the week, we're going to focus on a different animal. We have four types of animals here and there's four days of camp. So it works out just right like that. And then they might have some playtime, maybe another different craft. And then we usually have a garden focus hour with that Julie Maxwell that I mentioned. Uh, She'll take them and talk to them about all things gardening and then just some more games and we're always going out onto the farm and walking around and seeing the different animals and where they live, feeding them and that kind of thing. There's actually someone that's been with me since the beginning of this idea of the farm camp is a teacher from the Vanskoy School, Kathy Spence. 
So she was one of my kids' favorite teachers while they were going to school in Vanskoy. And I just realized early on that I should have a partner because I didn't really have the time or necessarily the skill set to be teaching these kids every day. So I brought in Kathy Spence, and she's a lovely teacher, and she gets kids. This is the age group that she normally teaches in Vanskoy. So she totally understands them, and they love her. So she's been a great person to have on board. Now, would you say that most of the kids come from Saskatoon? I would say, yeah, a good deal of them come from Saskatoon. We have some kids from the area as well, but a lot of the people from Saskatoon really like the idea of the experience because it's just hard to get your kids out on a farm these days. It's just less and less common to have a family member or a friend that owns and operates a farm. So this is a great way to get those kids that maybe otherwise wouldn't have that experience. So other than it being an additional revenue stream, why do you think it's important to have the young people at your farm? I just really love to see the look on their face when I show them, say, a patch of asparagus and they have never seen asparagus growing and I can just see the wheels turning and they have these aha moments where, you know, they're seeing where their food comes from. And I just think that's so important Everybody eats every day, and I think it's a really valuable thing to understand where that food is coming from and just give them access to being around animals, being outside every day and getting their hands dirty. They love the animals. And then the other thing that, so we asked them at the end of the week last year what their favorite part was, and the animals came up very, very commonly and then the other thing that was a big hit was that the head chef from Odla my business partner Scott Dix he comes out on the last day and he does a cooking demonstration with the kids and he makes some tacos and that was a big hit too. And are you booked up for the summer? Actually we still have a little bit of space available so yeah if you're interested you can go to our website which is farm140.ca and on the events page that's where you can sign your kids up for one of the weeks. I spoke with Arlie LaRoche, the owner and operator of Farm 140, back in August on AgriPod. And we're always interested in getting feedback on our episodes. You can send your comments to alice.mcfarlane at pattisonmedia.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you can also share your suggestions for possible interviews for our podcast. Thanks so much for listening and all the best in 2023. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.